Welcome to the Color and Chaos Podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to be here today. My name is Jonah Fair, and I'm coming to you from Macomb, Michigan. It's such an honor to be able to be a part of your life, no matter where you are tuning in, whether you are watching or listening to this episode, thank you. You can subscribe on any audio platform of your choice. With YouTube, you can subscribe as well and ring the bell so you don't miss any videos that are uploaded. Please feel free to review this podcast if this has blessed you, and that will tremendously help expand the reach of what we're doing here on the Color and Chaos podcast. For those that are tuning in for the very first time, it'll be an honor to explain a little bit of what Color and Chaos is before we jump into today's episode. Color and Chaos is simply just a cry from my heart that I can recognize within my life that even though there's a knee-jerk reaction within me to want to do nothing else but run away from or numb myself from pain and challenge and difficulty, in the moments where I don't run away from or numb myself from that pain, that challenge, and that difficulty, those were the moments that I have grown the most, not only as a person, but grown the most in my relationship with my creator, savior, and sustainer. And so this podcast is a cry that no matter what you are going through, no matter what we go through, that there is a color that can be found when instead of leaning into the chaos through our own strength or our own ability, we lean into the only one that can make us whole. And so that's what we do here each and every week. We identify a chaos, we identify a tension, and we lean into it and we say, God, help us see you in ways that we've never seen you before. And so no matter where today finds you, it would be an honor to pray with and for you. And as we lean into this episode, my heart just prays that you will know that you are not alone and you are loved more than you can fathom. So here, let's pray. Lord God, just thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you are the peaceful waters. You are the peaceful stream that calms and quiets my soul. And so, Lord, I just pray for each and every person that is watching this, no matter what they have going on in their life, in their day, that they will be able to bring all of that to you, knowing that you care for them and you have beautiful plans and purposes for this life that you've given us. So, Lord, help us in this moment see you with new eyes. And it's in your name we pray and we surrender. Amen. Amen. Towards the end of last year, I had a dream. And within that dream, there's something that I've been thinking about ever since then. And I talked about it a couple weeks ago on this podcast. And the name of that episode was Sanctuary. But for those that are maybe listening or watching this and they haven't listened or watched that episode, I'll just catch you up to speed a little bit on the inspiration behind what we're talking about today. Within the dream, I was in a room and my back was to a stage. And within the room, there were people that were singing worship. They were singing worship to God. It was just such a peaceful atmosphere. In the dream, I was on my phone and as I was scrolling, I was just thinking, God, I am so grateful that you know me inside and out, that you know me, you know what is best for me, and those plans are beautiful, and i rather do whatever it is that you want me to do than anything that I can muster up on my own, and I was just having this time really in worship to the Lord, and I was just such at peace, and a little bit of context of what was going on in my life around the time of the stream was I was going through a breakup. And breakups are hard. It's a lot of heartbreak with that. And this specific one, there was definitely a lot of heartbreak. But in my dream, it was like that heartbreak was just like washed away. And it was replaced with just this peace 
this peace that, God, you know what you're doing. And Lord, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And there's just this peace in being almost in the presence of the Lord. But something interesting happened as I was leaving this sanctuary. I, I step out and I remember this street. It was, it was a busy like city, busy street. And as I was walking the street, I just started to feel more and more and more from the moment I left the building. Anxiety and dread just wash over me. And about two times, I cried out, God, you got to help me. You got to help me. Like I was going crazy. And it was almost like all of the stuff that was, whether it be suppressed or washed, whatever it was, all that stuff that I wasn't feeling in the building, I was feeling outside. And two times, I literally cried out, Lord, you got to help me. And I thought nobody can hear me. I thought I was just crying out just to get some relief personally. But around me was my mom. And at this point, I'm still walking down the street and my mom was there and she's like, Jonah, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, when you try to play something off just so that, you know, it's not awkward or, or somebody's not concerned about you. So I just played it off. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm doing fine. And my mom's like, no, Jonah, you're not. And I was kind of shocked in my dream. I was like, how does she know? And she's like, well, Jonah, like, I heard you twice yelling for God to help you. And so Jonah, like, no, you're not okay. And at that point, I was kind of busted. I was like, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing okay. And all that to say, I woke up a little shortly after that. But the thing that has been sticking in my mind ever since I've had that dream was that when I was in that room, I was at absolute peace. I was able to praise the Lord and see the beauty in the midst of pain. I was able to see beautiful things that when I was outside that room, I wasn't able to see and I wasn't feeling. And I could have, with all my strength, tried to muster up what I was feeling in that room, but there is nothing I could have done on my own strength to produce what I was feeling in that room. And in that room, in that sanctuary, I was at absolute peace. Why? Because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was sovereign and that the Lord cared and that he was present and that he provides. I knew that all the emotions that I was feeling from a heartbreak were nothing compared to a God that holds me in his hands. And within that sanctuary, I was at peace. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked a little bit about that idea of sanctuary. And we talked about how a sanctuary is not a earthly building, is not an earthly person. It's nothing that this world can provide. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but I was inspired by reading a passage in a Old Testament prophecy. And this Old Testament prophecy is found in Ezekiel, specifically chapter 47. And I want to go a little bit back real quick to give you a little bit of context of the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has a lot of prophecies very similar to Revelation in the sense that God overshadows a person and shows them things that they can't see in the present, but things that are yet to come. And so Ezekiel has this moment where God reveals to him the plan that he has to restore and to remake the things that are dead and that do not look good. During this time, Israel was under a lot of just intense, just persecution and exile because of their rebellion towards God. And so God comforts Ezekiel, 
even though God was punishing the Israelites for their wayward heart in order to help them know their need and their dependence upon their one true God and their one king, that is him himself, God, in this moment of intense pain, they are crying out saying, God, have you forgotten me? And the Lord replies through Ezekiel that, no, I have not forgotten you. So for instance, in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29, God gives a promise to Ezekiel to give to the rest of the Israelites and to the rest of the world. And this is what God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29. He says this, And I will never again turn my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. Again, that's Ezekiel 39, 29. So God promises that his own spirit will dwell within the people of Israel. It won't just be in temples or different places where they feel an overwhelming sense of the presence of God, but that the presence of God will be in their midst. And so he promises that in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29. In Ezekiel 40, verse 2, he takes Ezekiel to this very high mountain. The thing about Jerusalem, or just even about Israel, is that even though there is elevation, there's not necessarily high, high, high mountains. It's nothing super high. But within this vision that God is giving Ezekiel, he's taking him to a very, very, very high mountain. So God is taking Ezekiel to a place that does not currently exist, but is somewhere that he wants Ezekiel to be able to see something that he can't see in the present. And then in Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7, God shows Ezekiel his throne. So he takes Ezekiel, not just from this high mountain, but he takes him to his throne. And so Ezekiel is able to see the majesty of God, even in the midst of pain and difficulty. And now we find ourselves in Ezekiel chapter 47, starting in verse 1. And this is what Ezekiel says. He says this, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I can see water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. So through this vision in Ezekiel chapter 47, it starts off with the entrance of the temple. And you see from where the throne is, from within where the temple is, that there's a stream flowing from beneath the door of the temple. And it talks about how it passes through the altar and it goes even outside the walls of the city. And you see that in verse two, you see it says that the man brings Ezekiel from outside the wall. So right now, this chapter is centered around this spring, this river that is flowing from the sanctuary of God outside the walls and it's flowing. What's really interesting about this prophecy is that Jerusalem did not have a great body of water that it drew from. Many great cities, the greatness of that city would come from being near a great source of water, but Jerusalem was not like that. The only source of water that Jerusalem drew from is the Gihon Spring. It's a little spring from right by where the temple is, and it's like a little crevice of the temple that, that has this spring that comes from it. 
And so the Gihon Spring is where the citizens of Jerusalem would draw their water in order for them to survive. So they depended upon water greatly. But it's really interesting that a lot of prophecies within the scripture, and a lot of people point out that within the different prophecies within scripture of the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that God was promising that would replace the Jerusalem that was currently in existence, one of the big characteristics that you see throughout the scripture is a prophecy that there would be water, that there would be water, that there would be a river that would flow from Jerusalem and would inhabit and produce life wherever it goes. You see this a little bit in Joel chapter 3, specifically in verse 18, where in this prophecy it says this, In that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. Water will fill the stream beds of Judah, and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple, watering the arid valley. You see how this water is prophesied to flow from the temple of God, where currently it's just a spring that dwells. And I wanted to show a little video because within Jerusalem, there's the two bodies of water. There's the Gihon Spring, and through the Gihon Spring, there was a pool that was developed named the Pool of Shiloh. And throughout the Bible, there is a lot of significance in this pool. And as we understand about this pool and the Gihon Spring, it will help us make sense of what we're about to read in Ezekiel chapter 47. So here, watch this video as you get a little bit more background on the Pool of Shiloh, its significance, and the Gihon Spring. In 2004, at the southern end of the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, a sewage pipe explodes. The municipality sends in construction workers to repair the sewage pipe. But the city of David is not just another part of Jerusalem. And here, when a sewage pipe bursts, you don't only send in construction crews, you also have to send in archaeologists. And they begin to hear from the bulldozers and dump trucks scraping and scratching. It doesn't sound right. They clear everyone out. And it turns out that in repairing the sewage pipe, the construction crews had inadvertently uncovered a series of ancient stone steps dating back thousands of years. And they realized they had discovered the steps leading down to the Pool of Siloam, the Shiloach Pool. Now, what was the Pool of Siloam? To answer that question, we have to go back some 2,700 years to the time of the biblical King Hezekiah, direct descendant of King David. Now at that time, the armies of King Sennacherib of Assyria are marching on Jerusalem. Hezekiah understands there's going to be war, and he begins making his preparations, and one of the main things he does is to divert the waters of the Gihon Spring, the life source of Jerusalem during the times of the Bible, to flow entirely within the walls of the city of David. The Bible mentions that it was Hezekiah who builds the Pool of Siloam. Where I'm standing right now in the Pool of Siloam dates back some 2,000 years to the end of the Second Temple period. However, archaeologists believe that the original Pool of Siloam, dating back to the time of Hezekiah, is located directly beneath my feet. The Pool of Siloam has significance not just for protecting the water of Jerusalem, but also for another reason. The Bible tells us that there were three times during the year, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, when all of Israel would have to go on pilgrimage up to the temple. Now before you can do that, one must purify themselves. The Pool of Siloam was a giant ritual bath, or mikvah, to allow the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of pilgrims going up to the temple to first purify themselves before beginning their ascent up to the temple from here at the Pool of Siloam. Within John chapter 7 to chapter 9, you see a significance about the Pool of Shalom. 
and what Jesus did around that pool. You see, for instance, in John chapter 9, where there was a man that was blind and he was waiting to cleanse himself in the pool. And he says, look, there's nobody that will help get me to this pool. And as you saw from the video, the pool was very significant because it was a part of the purification process in order for people to go to the temple. And so Jesus meets this man and he spits into mud and he says, do you want to be able to see? And the man says, yes, I do. And so the Lord wipes some mud on his, on his eyes and says, go now and wash within the pool. The man does and he can see. This pool is also very significant because around this pool is where Jesus cried out during one of the festivals. And he said this in John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. He says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and with a loud voice said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up at the time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so Jesus, again, is fulfilling what is being promised here in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29, where God says, I will pour out my spirit upon the people. Jesus, in the midst of this pool and right around the temple, cries out, says, okay, come to me and I will give you, I will give you that spring of living water within you. The thing that's really interesting about the Gehon Spring is it was referred to living water because it was a spring and it was constantly being replenished. And Jesus is saying, instead of coming to that to be the fulfillment of the living water that you were looking for, come to me and through the spirit of God within you, you will have a spring of living water. Alexander McLaren says something within his commentary here on Ezekiel chapter 47, and I wanted to read this to you. This is what he says. Unlike most great cities, Jerusalem was not situated on a great river. True, the inconsiderable waters of Shalom, which flow softly, rose from a crevice in the temple rock, and beneath that rock stretched the valley of Kidron, dry and bleached in the summer, and a rainy torrent during the rainy seasons. But that was all. So many of the prophets who looked forward to better times to come laid their finger upon that one defect and prophesied that it shall be cured. Faith saw what sense saw not. Faith saw what sense saw not. So continuing back to what we're reading in Ezekiel chapter 47, he sees this water flowing from the temple and going outside the walls and it continues in verse three. This is what it says. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for a thousand seven hundred and fifty feet and then led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another a thousand seven hundred and fifty feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another thousand seven hundred and fifty feet, I was up to my waist. Then he measured another a thousand seven hundred and fifty feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the river bank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees 
growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever this water of the river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea. All the way, the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of all kind will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, water is always synonymous with the Spirit. You see this through many different passages. For instance, you see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. You also see this in Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29. The Spirit of God is like water, that wherever it goes, there is life that is produced. So through the Spirit of God, we are marked as children of God and the living water, no longer tied to the Gihon Spring, flows within us and that is how life is produced within us. The Bible details the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Through the water, the spirit flowing through us, through the surrender of our lives to Jesus, we are able to have that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that nothing in this world can fulfill apart from him. Each and every one of us, we spend our lives, we spend our energy searching for those things. When Jesus says, come to me and I will give you an abundance of water flowing through the Holy Spirit that will give you those things that you desperately cry out for and that I created you to long for. How many of us search for love in springs that do not satisfy but stagnant puddles of water? And within this prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 47, the Lord is reminding Ezekiel, look, through me, there will be life, even miraculously to the point that the Dead Sea will have life overflowing around it. Anybody who's been to the Dead Sea, which I have not, but I've seen videos, it is mind boggling. The concentration of salt within the sea is so high that there is not any life that can live within the sea. It's not sustainable. But in this prophecy, God is reminding Ezekiel, look, the water that flows from my temple, from my sanctuary, from my dwelling place will produce life wherever it goes. So you see through the abundance of God, 
That is where the water comes from. There's no other sources of water that are fueling or feeding into this river that flows from the sanctuary of God, from the high mountain. There is no other sources of water that feed into this. This is the only source of water. And so you see as Ezekiel is walking down this riverbank, he's seeing how it goes from him being just ankle deep down to his waist to not even being able to walk anymore, but just being able to swim. When we come to Christ, it can be like almost like we're walking just ankle deep enough for us to realize and praise God. Thank you, God, for providing this provision through your son. Thank you so much, Lord, that I am free, that I have sustenance, and that through your Holy Spirit within me, I'm able to be alive and to be able to to have what I need in order to, to dwell and to thrive, to have life abundantly. But as a believer grows in maturity, that water starts to get deep and deeper and deeper and nothing else is changing but the person that is walking and journeying through that life in Christ is starting to realize the abundance that is there that they didn't know before. It is from the same source where you have the overwhelming abundance that Ezekiel could not even walk in it anymore. But all he can do is just succumb to it and let it wash over his head and he can swim freely upon the abundance and provision of God. And this abundance and provision isn't a earthly abundance and provision. Even though we have a God that that has all of heaven and earth's resources in his hands and he can provide what he wants to whoever he wants, however he wants, even though that is the case. The abundance that Jesus is saying that comes through the spirit is an abundance that nothing in this world can take away. And it's abundance in a king and a kingdom beyond this world. It's a abundance found in the source, which is him. And the provision is through his spirit. And it's in ways and treasures that we can't even fathom. But when our eyes are on the earthly treasures, on all of the earthly stuff, we can miss treasures even more abundantly than this. It's not about God blessing us financially. It's not about God blessing us in whatever other way take my life, just give me Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you're obsessed with what you have seen. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, it gives you an appetite, not necessarily for the things of this world. If anything, the things of this world, as the hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world will grow strangely dim, strangely dim. So when you taste and see the Lord is good, why would you go back to nasty food that once you satisfy your appetite? but to leave you dry because of the high concentration of salt. <laughs> no longer do you go back to that. You, you only want the delicacies of our creator, savior, sustainer that he alone provides. And delicacies that go beyond this kingdom to a kingdom beyond our own. When people were going to Jesus said, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, our father, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we come to Jesus through the Holy Spirit, our taste starts to change that we want on earth to be like it is in heaven. And so we look to Jesus. We fix our eyes upon Jesus to lead us through earth and transform it into the likeness of heaven Through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
There's nothing else that flows into this source of water. There is nothing else but through the source of Jesus alone, through the Spirit of God working in a follower. That is how there is life that is produced that does not make sense. Does not make sense. Better is the sand that our God has called us to than the sand where our feet can wander. Heavy heart, no matter what you are going through. Better is the sand that our God will lead us through than the sand our feet will travel upon trying to do it through our own strength, our own understanding, and our own wisdom. When you have tasted see that the Lord is good, when you see visions and revelations like what is seen in Ezekiel chapter 47, you want that. The water of the Dead Sea no longer satisfies. You want that pure water that comes from this sanctuary of God. Alexander McLaren says, based on this passage, this prophet cast his anticipations of the abundant outpouring of blessing that shall come when God in very deed dwells among men. In this figure of a river pouring out from beneath the temple door and spreading life and fertility wherever its waters come. The man was taken Ezekiel to see what only could come through Christ. Heavy heart, everything that we are looking for comes through Jesus, comes through Jesus. He is the well that will never run dry. When Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, she's going to a well to satisfy her thirst. Even though within, there's so much junk. And Jesus says, look, don't you want to get to a point where you don't have to keep coming to this water to satisfy you anymore? Wouldn't you want to have a water, a living water that lives within you? Whether or not this woman's mind went to the Gihon Springs or the Pool of Shalom, we don't know. But we know that she cries out and she says, Lord, give me this water always. And Jesus says, I am. I am this water. I am the Messiah that you are looking for. I am. I am. I am. It's so beautiful to me in that dream that I had. The peace. The peace. Just from being surrounded by the truth of God. Just meditating my heart and mind. Fixing my eyes upon the, the things that are true. Whatever my phone was telling me as I was scrolling through in my dream, it was nothing compared to the truth that I knew of, Lord, I'm so thankful for you. You provide. You provide. If anything, the things that I was seeing on my phone as I was scrolling through in my dream was reminding me how good God is compared to anything that I was seeing on my phone. <laughs> there is a river. There is a river that rages and is found in Jesus. Faith sees what sense cannot see. Heavy heart. What today do we need to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I've been drawing from shallow, stagnant pools and puddles. When there is a river flowing through a surrender to Jesus, 
and through allowing the Spirit of God to be what leads us and no longer grieving the Spirit through our rebellion towards our holy God, but instead following the words and the decrees of the Scripture in order for us to be able to allow the abundance and the overflow of the Spirit of God, the living water within us, to flow and to burst through every crevice of our entity, our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our emotions. Say, Lord, have your will and way. When springs cannot be controlled, that word is revival. There's a revival. There's a renewal. May we all cry out, Lord, give me that revival. And it's painful. It's painful at first because it requires a death. But the the beautiful life that is resurrected through surrendering to his will and plans for our lives and his word, his truth being the anchor to our lives, the beautiful renewal and resurrection that comes from that is so, so, so beautiful. Once you've tasted revival, you don't want to go back to how you were living. You don't want to go back. You don't want to go back to the Dead Sea any longer. But you see things you never saw before and you have tastes that you never had before. It brings my attention to Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, and this is what it says. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by its gates. (laughs) Jesus is not talking in this passage about the, the, the pool of Shalom even though he's using that as an example to get their minds to think, okay, before I went to the sanctuary, I would purify myself in the pool. I would wash my robes within the pool of Shalom. He's saying, blessed are those that wash, that surrender, that died to themselves and become alive through Christ. Blessed are those. If we want to have a intimacy with our God, it comes through Jesus. It comes through Jesus. We cannot stand in the presence of a holy, righteous God unless we are washed in the holy, righteous blood of Jesus. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one that overcame what we cannot. And he rose from the dead through the same spirit that dwells within us, that will raise us from the dead, both literally and also spiritually raise us from the dead to produce a life in abundance, even within what used to be the Dead Sea. There is revival. There is revival. And it outpours from his spirit upon all who ask. May we come to our God that gives waters that will quench even the deepest, deepest thirst of our heart and soul. I'm so grateful that we do not have to go to an earthly sanctuary or the pool of Shalom, or drink from the Gihon Spring in order to have an abundance that can only come through Jesus. And may it be through faith we see what our senses in the chaos fail to show us. May we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in those moments where we're crying out and we're going crazy, may we return back to the truth and fix our eyes upon Jesus and say, no, 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 no. My senses, my senses do not tell me the truth of what faith tells me. And the faith is that, Lord, you are the water that never runs dry. In the ocean, I'm ankle deep. I feel the waves crashing on my feet. 
figure out Just how much air I will need to breathe When your tide rushes over me There's only one way to figure out Will you let me drown? Something beautiful to touch me I know that I'm married Cause I am down on my knees I'm waiting for Something beautiful Oh, 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 oh Something beautiful And the water is rising quick and for years I was scared of it We can't be sure when it will subside So I won't leave your side No, I can't leave your side Hey now, this is my desire Consume it like a fire Cause I just want something beautiful to touch me a fire cause I just want something beautiful to touch me I 